This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Hey, this is Morgan Lee. You're listening to Quick to Listen, a Christianity Today podcast. I'm an assistant editor here at CT, and today I am joined by my boss, Richard Clark. Hey, Morgan. Good to be here. Good to be your boss still. I'm glad that you're my boss. <laughs> We're all glad. I've said a lot of syncophantic things to say to you today. That's true. That's how, that's how you do it. A tip to anyone working for a boss, if you happen to be working for a boss, is to say things that make them feel good. Right? Yeah, about the job they're doing. Never enough of those compliments, right? Yeah. Does it matter if they're true or not? It doesn't really matter. So, hey, what are we talking about today? So today we're going to talk about Thanksgiving, and we thought it would be good to have uh, Reverend Dr. Randy Woodley on to the show to talk about it. He serves as a distinguished professor of faith and culture and director of intercultural studies at George Fox Evangelical University. He consults with the Oregon Department of Education on the American Indian Alaska Native Advisory Board. He's written a lot of books, including Shalom and the Community of Creation, an Indigenous Vision. He was raised near Detroit, Michigan, is a legal descendant of the United Kituwa Band of Cherokee Indians in Oklahoma. He and his wife are co-founders of Eagle's Wings Ministry, Christians for Justice, and he's a founding member of Evangelicals for Justice. Dr. Woodley, thanks so much for being on the show. I heard you recently also wrote a children's book. I did. Thank you. I just uh, was published about a month ago. Uh, it's called The Harmony Tree, a story of healing and community. And it very much is in line with this whole Thanksgiving theme that we're going to be talking about is uh, between host peoples and settler peoples. You've obviously written quite a few books. How how did you decide that you wanted to write a children's book? Well, you know how uh, sometimes you'll remember the children's story and almost every time if you have those in your church, but you forget about what the pastor preached on? Uh, Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly why, because um, people remember stories. And uh, especially those children's stories. The, uh, so I wrote an allegory about trees. And this was called The Harmony Tree. Where can we buy that, by the way? Uh, just get it on Amazon. It's uh, probably the cheapest. It's published by um, Friesen Press, but a lot of people carry it. But I think Amazon has it the cheapest. There's a hardcover and a softcover and make an excellent Christmas gift. But, you know, the, the whole thing about the sermon, you know, we always think that the propositional truth is the sort of most efficient way to communicate, but nobody remembers the number one, number two, number three, number four. You know, what we remember is finding ourselves in a story. That's really cool. So listeners, as Richard mentioned, we are talking about Thanksgiving this week. And the biggest way that you say you're thankful to us is by subscribing to Christianity Today magazine. For $10 a month, the special podcast price that we have, you will get 10 award-winning print issues. And again, if you subscribe right now, you will sneak in there just in time to get our December issue. You will also get full access to our site. And, you know, I do social media now for our site. And so sometimes that means that I'm looking up for things that we have written in the past that are going to be relevant or helpful for the church. And it's astonishing to me how much good stuff that we have in our archives. And so it's not just like, oh, you get access to the archives and it's all outdated news. It's like there's some real meat there. 
my biggest selling point for the December issue, which you want to get, is that I managing edited it. So it's going to be awesome. You can decide if that's a selling point for you or not. Hand, I can endorse it firsthand because I made it. All right. <laughs> so everyone, go see how good the quality of this next issue is. See for yourself by paying the $10 and going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. Orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, let's talk about Thanksgiving, which is just a couple days away. Many of us, I'm assuming all you who are Americans, which we do know we have some international listeners in our audience, hi. But to all the American listeners that we have out there, we're quite familiar with the Thanksgiving story. Partially, this is because we have so many traditions that are associated with Thanksgiving, whether it's this giant turkey dinner or some people have football traditions or some people have parade watching traditions. And most of us are at least somewhat familiar with this 1621 feast. Um, We may know about the pilgrims and the brutal first winter that they endured. Um, We may know about Squanto. We may have all these different conceptions about the holiday in our head. And today we really wanted to kind of go a little bit deeper with what we know about the holiday and see what type of tensions there may be for us as Christians who are trying to really think critically about our faith. I just want to point out that in the past couple of weeks, we've seen some national stories that remind us that Native American voices and perspectives aren't often the ones that we listen to as a country or center. Partially, this was seen when the Chicago Cubs recently played the Cleveland Indians in the World Series a couple weeks ago, and we saw Chief Wahoo, which is the Indians cartoon mascot. Um, It is a racist character that is from a long time ago and that is still used to promote the team. And there's been outcry and protests from Native American community, but the sports franchise has not replaced it. And the other national story that's been in the news as well has been the protest at the Dakota Access Pipeline. This is a $3.7 billion crude oil project. Um, It would run across four different states. And the project was okayed during the summer, but the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe sued Um, back in July and said that the pipeline would threaten the tribe's environmental and economic well-being and would damage and destroy sites of great historic, religious, and cultural significance to the tribe. So these are some of the stories that have been in the news lately. I think it's important for us to, to think about those stories and to think about if those stories should in any way complicate how we observe Thanksgiving. Dr. Woodley, I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you and the Native community you're a part of currently observe Thanksgiving? You know, there is no single Native American voice, and so everybody celebrates uh, Thanksgiving differently. Um, There are groups um, who choose not to celebrate it. There are others who enjoy it and, uh, you know, celebrate just like most other Americans do. Um, Some just, like some Americans, just use it as a, it's a holiday off to feast and and uh, and others use it as just another Thanksgiving ceremony. All of our peoples have had multiple, multiple Thanksgiving ceremonies going on here around the calendar year before Thanksgiving ever began. And so, in a sense, the pilgrims are relate to the game. So one of the things that, that I did um, when I was in college, of course, I come from a, a family um, largely from the South, and, you know, any kind of holiday where you eat is a big deal. You know, growing up, I like to eat. Um, I still like to eat. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> yeah. So any kind of a meal where we can feast, you know, is a, is a, seen as a great thing. I used to host a lot of people from other countries 
during Thanksgiving time. So, I, for example, when I was a hall director at a, a hall at uh, Eastern University, um, I would have all the students from different places in the world over because they couldn't go home for the holidays, you know. And, and I've, I've done that in a number of places I lived. And I realized during that time that, that this Thanksgiving thing is, a, is, is not just a holiday. It is a deep mythology within the American psyche. And uh, as I interacted with people who weren't from here, and I began to get feedback from them, it was is apparent that uh, there's something a lot deeper here, something a lot deeper than this sort of mythology that has been spread about the you know the happy day between the pilgrims and the Indians. And so, so I've tried to think more deeply about that over the years, and and uh, tried to create a, a symbiotic uh, experience for my own children as we sit around the table and who are Native American and uh, and more in line with maybe a, a better theology than just the myth that's been perpetuated. Can you say more about what that theology is that you that you communicate over the table in that way? So the American myth of Thanksgiving is that here's the settlers on the land. There's no talk of, of what happens to the land after that, right? It's just that oh they got along good. It's it's sort of like you know and and for three days they they had this you know festival together and they live happily ever after, and no one questions well what happened to the Native Americans after that you know and the story is so treacherous and so ugly that uh, that our mythology only puts in the things that that we want to be you know we want to look good about right so as Americans we we want to say oh we were kind to the Indians and and then. You know, uh, that that way we can't hold ourselves responsible for what happens afterwards. And so I'm not necessarily against Thanksgiving, although there's lots of Native folks who are. And, uh, you know, I, I respect their, their right to do that and the reasons why. My position is maybe as people who are supposed to be keepers of the land and peacemakers, um, at least that's what my Native traditions have taught me and my following Jesus, the same thing. So uh, maybe this could be a place where we could find some common ground and kind of flesh out the real story and work through it as opposed to just making it part of the American myth. And it's not that it's a bad thing that these folks got together and ate over the same table and shared food. It's that that's definitely not the end of the story. It's amazing to me that your your approach is to um, it's essentially to like try again. To re-mythologize. So the myth is there, the American myth, which I say the American myth, uh, including Thanksgiving, but it's got a lot of things to it, is the deepest held religious belief in America. And so uh, I don't think Jesus is happy about us following that myth. I think there's more truth that has to come out. And so how do we do that and still not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Sure. I guess what strikes me, I guess what I mean by try again is like there was a time when, I guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there was a time when Americans and Native Americans tried to sit together at the table and find common ground. And it kind of I don't know how you put it, but it went badly. Right. Like that's the reality. So we forget a couple things. One is that when they when they came over, they already saw themselves as superior to the native people, right? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, they were technologically inept, and they were dying off like crazy. And so the native people saved them. They felt sorry for them. They they helped them. In fact, they um, the Wampanoags made a pact with them to protect them from any enemies that might attack them. And, and that is actually what what brought when they heard the volleys of gunfire going off. Uh, in celebration, because they were having the celebration without the Native people um, to begin with, which is not unusual because 
you know, they literally saw themselves as superior to native people. So, uh, and they and they understood the king owned the land, not the native people. When they came over, King James had already made it clear that it's, it's all mine, the Virginia colony, which basically went from sea to shining shining sea, as far as he was concerned. And and so they they come over and uh, they're celebrating, and then the Wampanoag show up with a hundred warriors, and, and they're there to protect them, to help them, and it's like, oh. You know, look who didn't get invited. Right? <laughs> yeah, we've all had that awkward situation when someone shows up for a party they weren't invited for. The native folks, the Wampanoags, go out and they they kill five deer and, uh, you know, they, they start looking for more food because, you know, they know what a feast is and they know what Thanksgiving is. They've been doing this for, you know, millennium. So uh, so they all get together and they end up supposedly, and, and I hope, sitting at the same table together. And I think that's really important to be at the same table together, to eat together. And they had a, a sort of a three-day, you know, celebration. I enjoyed each other's company. In fact, I'm sure it built on the relationships. I'm sure they played games and, you know, uh, horse racing and or whatever else was going on. I don't know what happened there. But came out the better people as a result of it. In fact, there would come to be a pact now between, uh, and it would be reinforced there until the next generation. I don't want anybody to get, uh, for people to get the pilgrims at Plymouth uh, mixed up with the Massachusetts Bay Colony, because that's a whole different animal. Don't superimpose all pilgrims with the Mayflower folks. People at Boston Colony had a whole different way of dealing with Native Americans, and it wasn't very pleasant. So anyway, they 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 ended up for almost a generation um, kind of looking out for each other's best interests. And, and it was the following generation that really began to break the covenant that they made and, and ruined everything. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of times we assume the way culture works, the way these relationships work, the way understanding one another works is we are able to understand one another. We sit at the same table, we build relationships and eventually like things improve sort of automatically. And this is a this is a little bit of an interesting story to hear because from you, because I feel like what it tells me is that there's a lot of starts and stops and backward steps and there's no like promise necessarily that in this world, things will will become like all well and good, even between like two specific people groups. Yeah, well, I think that's the intention, though. You know, so if we're moving toward uh, what the Bible calls shalom, toward a, a this large, big picture of peace, not the the little shalom that we think just means peace to you, but the big shalom that actually means structured love in our society. If we're moving towards that and what Native people would call harmony or the harmony way or balance, um, then I think we're walking with Jesus. And when we start walking away from that, we're walking away from Jesus because his intention is to uh, to bring peace, to bring to stop wars, to, you know, uh, bring people together, to not have aught against your fellow person, you know. And and so um, so and as far as the native folks are walking that way and those settler folks at uh, Plymouth are walking that way, I think they were walking with God. But uh, that that's unfortunately not the end of the story. That's just, you know, the beginning of some really, really bad stuff that happens, attempted genocide and cultural genocide and a lot of other things. Yeah. What kind of systemic things happened in the second generation that splintered the group? Well, the second generation was actually a murderous bunch of folks, and and uh, um, and they and they they start growing, and so there becomes less of a separation between um, uh, those separatists and uh, who are 
in mess or in uh, Plymouth and those um, uh, Puritans who are in Massachusetts Bay Colony, um, and they sort of that almost that that feeling that's part of the ugliness of Massachusetts Bay Colony starts to spread within there. Even though out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, there are some wonderful people who arise who are who defend the natives, like Roger Williams and uh, Samuel Gorton and uh, Mary Dyer and uh, just a, a, a number of folks who are who rise up and some of them give their own lives because of the kinds of justice they're standing up to see for natives. Uh, yeah, so they basically um, find reason in Scripture, like uh, Joshua's crusade. You know, they're the Israelites and and the Indians are the Canaanites, so we have, we have the right to wipe them out. Scripture demands it. Cotton Mather said once. And uh, and also there was the whole doctrine of discovery that had been made in about uh, 1593, 1592. Uh, the Pope had said any lands that aren't inhabited by Christians can be taken over by Christians and they can be enslaved. And Protestants went by that as well, planting their flags and their crosses everywhere, and then and still do that today. In fact, and uh, and then there's just the whole uh, Augustine's you know just war ethic. They used that sometimes as a as a way of justifying what they were doing. So, so um, it, Christianity really begins to get really, really ugly at that point. It becomes genocidal, uh, at genocide, ethnocide. Um, there's this superiority for the Western Europeans. They they don't understand uh, race theory at that time, but it's basically the just a continuation of a sort of a white supremacy that went forward at that point. And uh, and native people are just you know heathens destined for hell who have nothing good to offer and so the best thing you can do is is just try not to kill them as best you can and move them out of the way and um, and that has not that's going on right now at the Dakota Access Pipeline it's still going on so you know, a lot of times people who who are who don't know their history will say to me you know when are you people going to get over it I have a real simple answer when it's over. So it's not over. And these are the kinds of things that we should be talking about this Thanksgiving at the table. We should be educating ourselves on the Dakota Access Pipeline. We should be understanding how caricatures and mascots um, create uh, a, a situation where Native Americans, believe it or not, this is an FBI figure, you can look it up, uh, are the number one in terms of population, the number one victims of hate crimes in America. And um, it's because caricaturizing people um, and the mascotism makes you less than a person. Now, we already have a 500-year history where we were seen as less than people. We don't need to continue that. We need to correct that. And so what true conciliation looks like between Native people and non-Native people this Thanksgiving is educating ourselves about those things and talking about them. You spoke at, at the beginning of the, about the fact that the population grew among the white settlers who moved in. I just think about that a lot with regards to smaller numbers means that in many ways these pilgrims and the other settlers had to be dependent on the native tribes, had to acknowledge their value, had to acknowledge their own limits and humility a lot more. Um, and at least one theme that I've heard a lot when we were looking at like the early church in the book of Acts is that this type of shared suffering, dependence, there's a lot more introspection that goes on. It seems like people are often much more in touch with their faith. And then when 
when there is clout, when the population grows, when power amasses, it's often very difficult to to resist that, to to still stand away from that power and to still acknowledge that this can be a, like a temptation or something that can kind of like corrupt what your group is all about. Isn't it interesting that the very essence of who God is, is to be vulnerable and to incarnate among us. So, you know, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And in uh, um, Philippians uh, uh, chapter 2, you know, um, he empties himself in, and becomes one of us. And I, I find my theology uh, is I've come to understand both our native understanding of who God is and, and to see um, the life and words of Jesus um, in a, a, a more, I think, correct context of who he is, is that, that God is the most vulnerable being there is. And when we are vulnerable, when we are giving up power, when we are allowing those who are less empowered to um, and, and finding ways to empower them, we're more like Jesus than probably any other time. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. How do you think... um... What was sort of the attitude at that time when, when the, the around that time of the first Thanksgiving? What do you think the attitude was towards missions? Because I know that's talked about a lot, talk about colonialism, that sort of thing. Was there sort of a unified vision of what missions was? Did they think about it at all, or did they just sort of like try not to kill them, that sort allow of thing? Me, allow me to contradict some of the the rewriting of church history that's gone on in the last 25 years. Please. So first of all, it is true when you hear, and I won't name names, but when you hear those guys talk about that mission was part of the charter of each, you know, colony, the Virginia colony, you know, the Connecticut colony, um, uh, the Massachusetts Bay colony, that it, that it was set as one of the goals was to um, bring the gospel. And you never look at the language to, to the benighted, savage, the heathen, the, you know, and it's all this sort of a, a morally superior language, right, that's used. And, and what happens is, um, like Jamestown, for example, there was only one uh, clergy, uh, I think within the first 15 years or so. Um, and people didn't listen to him very well. He seemed to be a good guy by all accounts. Um, and, and, and then all these other folks in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, you had some of your premier um, uh, theologians of that time. You had, you know, Cotton Mather and others who completely understood the scriptures as a means to vindicate the greed that they were doing and the way that they treated Native Americans and even killing women and children. Um, he found scriptural evidence for that. The mission, what we would go and people, you know, look at uh, people like— uh, uh, Elliot, um, people like that, and they go, oh, they sacrifice so much for the Native people. Yeah, but they had the superior uh, attitude of superiority, and 
Mission never happened. This is, the, I guess, the point I should make above all. Mission only happened when the settlers had military superiority over the Indians. So they would only go in a position of strength, which I think, again, is the opposite of Christ. You humble yourself. You go as a servant. That's what, what going means. It's what being sent means. It's, it's what it means to, to follow Jesus as a servant. But when you only go after you've subdued them, you you've, have military strength over them, and now they're in a position of weakness, I just don't think that sounds much like the God I know. What most of your listeners probably don't know, we had about a 100-year period of residential boarding school where Native children um, from age, well, say, 8, 10, all the way up through high school were abducted and forced and manipulated to go to residential boarding schools. And that was from about uh, 1878 to, to 1978, basically. Military-type boarding schools where students were shown no love, they were sexually abused. They were physically abused. They were um, brainwashed to be like Jesus, but uh, it wasn't the Jesus that I know. And, and we have whole generations now that uh, are affected adversely uh, because of this civilization technique of the missionaries. Civilizing and Christianizing were just hand in hand at that time. They, they didn't really understand the difference. One followed the other. The stuff you're talking about is ghastly, right? It's terrible as calculated, but in a longer period of time, uh, and affected more millions of people than the Nazi Holocaust wow. of Jews. So it was largely done in the name of Christianity, it sounds like. So how how do you, as a, as a Native American, reconcile yourself with the faith? What's the struggle you had to, to sort of work through? For me, it has to do with, uh, it's, it was really easy I was a uh, struggling uh, drug addict and at age 19. My life was falling apart. I couldn't complete a sentence. I was a, a meth addict, had lots of bad experiences, overdoses. I had people dying around me, and I just saw my whole life was just dark. And um, I knew that uh, there was someone there to cry out to. Uh, my parents uh, were Christians. And so I cried out to Jesus and said, if you are there, deliver me from these drugs and I'll serve you the rest of my life. And, you know, and I realized that, you know, for most drug addicts, this doesn't happen. But for me, it was an immediate healing. And that was taken away from me. And I walked away from those completely and began to try to find out what it means to follow Jesus. Unfortunately, there was no one there to tell me as a native follower of Jesus, here's, it's a little bit different path than just the American path. And so uh, everybody said, just, just, you know, uh, do what we're doing sort of thing. And so that meant to be assimilated. And, and I was assimilated and I was a flaming evangelist for a number of years and uh, did all the things you're supposed to do. And I did them with a lot of gusto and fervor and vigor. And, and then I finally began to realize there's, there's something about my identity and there's something about my culture that God really loves. And, and it actually even more important, that God has given us as Native people that American Christians desperately need. And that's the most important point, is that what American Christianity, the the many gaps that it is missing with the Western worldview can be filled in by Native people, even Native people who aren't Christians, because our values are very much, uh, most of our values, not all of our values, of course, are very much Christ-like. Can you talk about what some of those things, I mean, I know that's a big can of worms, but just can you talk about the, the basic principles you're talking about in terms of what the gaps are and how I'll give you... give you two of them. One, generosity. Being greedy is the worst thing you can be in a 
in a native community. And and yet the whole system, economic system we live by is sort of sort of based on greed, isn't it? And to be generous and give things away, to to not to do it both in ceremony and structure and to do it unstructured just in personal lives, to be a generous person is to be a true human being. So so generosity is better than greed. That's a big one. Another one is that um, hospitality. We have always been the first to welcome the immigrants. Uh, we, we welcomed um, almost every case. If you look through the anthropological records and the historical records, not every single case, but almost every one, it is a native value to um, to feed and to shelter people when they need something. And so um, we're naturally hospitable and we're always extending our families and our relationships and our homes and opening them up. If that is a, a value in America right now, it's certainly at least half of America doesn't value that. <laughs> and what is the first step of shalom? The shalom that Jesus, the Jesus preached a shalom kingdom and that kingdom extended hospitality. God always, uh, throughout all scripture, it was not just you take care of the widow, you take care of the orphan, and you take care of the foreigner, the one who is coming to your land, because those people don't have any means to make it in an agrarian society that is patrilineal. So those are the people that got to be taken care of, the disenfranchised, the marginalized. And so it's always welcoming people and feeding them. Those are just two values of many, many values. Another one real quick I'll give you is, I just want to be clear, I don't speak for all Native people. I don't even speak for any Native people except for myself. And maybe if my wife was here, she'd say it's okay. But right now I'm not even going to speak for her. (laughs) But uh, this is just my own uh, opinion and experience. The idea of this whole like democracy based on a 41 or 51-49 split, or 49-50, you know, is just a way to uh, to divide. I mean, look at what's happening to the country right now. It's totally divided. We build consensus. We all move together or we don't move. Um, so unity and community is more important than being right. You know, when I pastored a Native church for seven years, we all sat around and and we didn't have committees and we didn't have, you know, councils. We got rid of all that stuff. And we sat around and listened to each other. And I I often noticed that that person who was contrary, who was different than everybody else, and we couldn't move forward because they kept bringing something up. We finally had to listen to them and realize, hey, it's very possible they see something that we don't see. And so we really need to listen to that minority voice even more than anybody else. And so so this idea of participation and speaking your voice gives dignity to the to everybody. Our native values are incredible. Yeah, that's really great. I was just thinking as you were saying that, I was just imagining a, a typical Thanksgiving dinner around the, the table, a family there, and how we could model, just to bring it home a little bit, right? We could model those things, I think, in those moments, we can think deeply about those values, generosity, hospitality, and in particular, especially this year, listening deeply to one another at the table, trying to reach some sort of consensus. That It seems like that would be a miracle, right? Yeah, or even just what he was saying, acknowledging that they may be seeing something you're not. Right. That's great. You talked about at the beginning, you said that the pilgrims are late to the Thanksgiving party. Can you just speak a little bit more about how... There is a culture of gratitude and thanksgiving and what that looks like. So I was fortunate early on to be able to listen to elders, what I would call true elders, some of them even born in the teepees. You know, they were they were older and, and, and in a number of different tribes. I've been real fortunate in my life um, because I've been around a lot of different kinds of Native people for much of my life. And they were, if anything they expressed, it was gratitude. 
So it was daily. Uh, they get up early in the morning, and the first thing they do is they go to prayer, whether it's in their own private home or whether it's with another group in ceremony. And, and our, my own uh, Cherokee people, that, that's how we greeted the day every day, was to go to the water and give thanks to Creator and the earth for everything we have, uh, supplying all our needs. And and uh, and I don't want anybody to get that confused with worshiping the earth, please. The, it's, the earth has never been worshiped by Native people. We simply recognize that God gives us so much through the earth. And, you know, I've seen our Native elders, you know, in, a lot of times when someone's a stranger will come up to them and say, oh, I really like that necklace you've got. And they might have on a, a necklace that somebody worked for, you know, uh, six weeks on, and, and it took everything they had, and it, it might be able to be sold for $500. And they just take it off and they give it to that stranger and say, well, then then I want you to have it. And um, our, our giveaways at our ceremonies, we, we have giveaways where, we, where, where the person who's being honored gives things away to others, especially those in need, because they want to share the honor they have by giving the things away, physical things away. And so it's just replete throughout Native culture is this whole Thanksgiving spirit and gratitude. You know, there is a something called the Iroquois Thanksgiving prayer, and uh, you can actually download that, I'm sure, somewhere on uh, the internet, the Iroquois Thanksgiving prayer. And it goes through all of creation, finally to the last point, to the Creator, and gives thanks for all of those things, for the water, for the trees, for the birds, for the, you know, etc. And we say that at our Thanksgiving table every year. We, we repeat the uh, Iroquois Thanksgiving prayer at least once a year to remind us how much we've been given and how thankful we should be. It's both through, like, ritual celebrations, but also through spontaneous gestures. And I think that's definitely something to think about as far as incorporating gratitude and the spirit of Thanksgiving into our own lives. So everyone that is listening, you are always invited to continue the conversation on social media with us. We're on facebook.com slash CT podcasts. We're on Twitter at CT podcasts, or you can always tweet at myself as well. All right. We are going to be moving to the time of the show we call Precious Moments. All right. It's that time of the show. Everyone gets to share something that is bringing them joy as well as where all of you listeners can find us after the show is over. Hey, Dr. Woodley, can you take us away? Yeah. What has really given me a lot of joy right now in my life is, one, to see how young people are getting active in their the things going on around them. Um, this has been a long time coming, and, and they're, you know, however they're doing it, they're, some are protesting, some are involved in other things. And but that they're just taking part, and that's really encouraging. But even more, our Native people have been beaten down for so long. And out at uh, near Cannonball, North Dakota, at the Standing Rock Reservation, um, and it's hashtag no DAPL, no Dakota Access Pipeline, the young people are coming in droves. We'll, we'll have, you know, there's sometimes like, I think there's camps of like 7,000 Indians out there now with help from white folks and Black Lives Matter and other people who are out there standing in solidarity with them. But the the young Indian people who have had their future stolen from them for so long, they're rising up, they're listening to the elders, they're sitting around the fires, and the elders are talking to them. And a whole new generation, I believe, of, of Native people with, with the pride in who God has made them to be is rising up. And, and that's what's given me the most joy right now. I'm always thankful. As a millennial, I'm always thankful for other people who are thankful for millennials. All right. Are you <laughs> online? Do you have a website? Are you on Twitter? I've got Twitter, Randy Woodley 7 I've got uh, a w- website, um, eagleswingsministry.com. 
and uh, that's eagle. That's plural, plural, singular. There's a lot of those out there. Eagleswingsministry.com, and then I've got my Facebook page, which is just Randy Woodley, and that's where um, I get the I do the most interaction. If it, people want to interact with me politically, uh, spiritually, or otherwise. So. All right, Richard. So mine's a little different. I uh, I have had some stressful times at work recently just because of current events and having to juggle a lot of assignments and all just craziness here. And um, so when I go home, I want to do something that requires very little thought and that feels good. So I uh, I watch what I call safe shows. I have two right now that I've been watching a lot of. One is The West Wing it just it just fills me with so much hope about America and politics, and uh, I don't question it when I'm watching it. Afterwards, I question it sometimes, but in the moment, I'm like, this is nice. And then the other one is Gilmore Girls, which I just watched the series finale of, what? and uh, <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. So the the new episodes of Gilmore Girls are coming out, like a four-part miniseries. Like, it's going to be amazing. People who know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, My are just waiting. They can't wait yes. any longer. They it's, both watch it grown up. It's a big deal. It is a really big deal. I've got to say this. I have never seen a, a greater series come on television in my whole life than the series This Is Us. Give your pitch for it. Why do you like it so much? Oh, it, it just deals with everything, and it's it's written well, it's acted well, and it's real life, and it's dealing with all kinds of issues that other people have been afraid to deal with, like overweight stuff and you know interracial stuff, and and it's just dealing with you know it, it's just a the, the best thing I think I've ever seen come on. I'm just so happy that that show's on. It kind of scratches the same itch as Parenthood did back in the day, but it's it takes sort of the feedback people have given of Parenthood, which is as like the the widest show ever. <laughs> And it sort of like corrects that in various active ways, which I appreciate. It's a very like inclusive show. And this is why I love millennials, because you guys go find this stuff out, you know? (laughs) So to finish up, my mom is coming in for Thanksgiving and she has also watched all of Gilmore Girls. Me and my entire family, including my mom, are going to watch Gilmore Girls, the new episodes this Thanksgiving. That's what's probably going to bring me the most joy this week. Well, (laughs) you can't beat that. You're kind of speechless. I ran my marathon finally, if anyone was How did wondering. it go? Tell us how it went. I made my goal. I ran under four hours. It was challenging. And you crab walked down the stairs today. Multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're sore. Got to do what you got to do. I'm kind of in disbelief because I didn't want to run a marathon for my entire life. And then somehow I tricked myself into signing up and training for it. And then I ran it. I think that's the only way to do it the first but time. But I'm like still like, wait. Wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then, it, and then it happened. So I guess that brought me joy. And I'm really excited, though, because when I go to Jordan, because I'm going to Lebanon and Jordan, I'm supposed to spend the night um, out in the desert, one of the nights. And That sounds terrible. Ride a camel. Wow. Right? And go to Petra. You will have, you will be able to say you did it. Yeah. So anyway, everyone on the podcast, I will fill you in on my trip. Or you can follow me on Instagram. Do I want people following me on Instagram? I don't know. <laughs> it's the same as my Twitter handle. So Richard Richard is on Twitter. He forgot to say at the Richard Clark. I am on Twitter and I guess Instagram at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Woodley. It was great to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Good. I hope you make a trip out to Standing Rock this year. On my list of 2017 goals is to go to all these states that I have not been to, and I've never been to the Dakotas. There you go. 
All right. That's it for us this week. Richard was my co-host this week, our guest co-host. Thank you so much, Richard, for being here. Thank you also for producing the show along with Cray Allred. We invite you all to listen to our other Christianity Today podcasts, um, The Calling and Monday Morning Preacher. You can subscribe to CT at orderct.com. We are also having a bunch of sales this weekend for Black Friday. So please be on the lookout for those. CT Magazine, we believe, would make an awesome Christmas gift. Rate, review, love our stuff on iTunes, and you can find the podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks! Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.